All right, I think we deserve a little bit of a round of applause. Thank you very much. Please be seated. It's a joy this morning about six o'clock. I got a call from Okinawa, Japan. And my youngest son, Daniel, who's a second lieutenant in the army said, hey dad, sorry to wake you up, but I wanted to wish you a happy Father's Day. <laughs> it's in the evening over there and he was about ready to go to bed. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Haven't heard anything yet from my other three kids, but. <laughs> It's nice to be a father. It's one of the joyous experiences that I can say I've ever really had. One of the scariest experiences that I've ever had. And talking about fathers is sometimes today very fraught with difficulty and problems. So we can't go into all those details. But I think it's good for us to talk about fathers and not just simply thank them, which we should. If you have a father, you should be thankful. Um, but also to talk about what it means to be a father, a good father, so that if you are a father and you haven't quite done all these kinds of things that you can start now, if you've been doing those, you can keep doing them. And if you're a young man and looking perhaps to the future of being a parent, you can ponder and think about what the Bible says, what Paul says about being a good husband, a good father. Uh, for your family, a good leader in the home. Uh, the sermon this morning is entitled, Is There a Man in the House? And I know of at least three books that have that title. And if you check out on the internet, you know, we have a new word called Google things. It's a verb, you Google things. And if you Google, is there a man in the house? You probably find a whole bunch of sermons and all of that on there. But it's a good title to ask the question, is there a man in your house and to ask maybe Paul to give us some insight and direction on what that means as we uh, cherish and thank our fathers, but also ponder what it means to be a father, a husband in today's culture, according to Paul and according to scriptures. So that's what we're going to do. If you turn with me, please, if you will turn with me, please, to Ephesians, the queen of the epistles, chapter five, Paul talks to the fathers, the husbands, and um, he gives us some insight and importance. It's a controversial passage of scripture, which why you'll find out in just a few minutes, but we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 down through verse 33, and I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Paul writes to uh, the church at Ephesus, to the people who are there, the believers, and he says, Wives, submit your husband to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands? Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, 
since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, we lift up our church to you. We lift up each of our believers who are here. We lift up our worship to you. We pray that it will honor you. It will be appropriate and it will give you glory, Father, and exalt Jesus Christ as the head of the church, as the Messiah, as our Lord and Savior. And above all, Father, we come together just asking that you will help us grow as a church in unity and in strength, in testimony and witness, that the world might know that there is hope in Jesus Christ and that we can be that kind of shining lighthouse here in this community, but shining all around the world to help others come to know Christ Jesus as Lord. We pray, Father, that you will help us to read your scripture carefully to ponder it, to think upon it, the profound mystery that you have given to us as Christ as the head of the church and how our families are to image that, to model that, and to be testimonies and witnesses to the fact that Christ is our Savior and our Lord. We ask, Lord, that you will guide our fathers, that you will guide our husbands and wives, and help us to be models that the world can look to to understand what it means for us to be believers in Christ, to have hope, and to find the satisfaction that we can find in the peace of Jesus in our hearts, individually, but also, Lord, in our families. For we do not wish strife and contention and brokenness. We want to offer hope to a world that's broken, where strife abounds, where contention exists, And to point them to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, in whom we find this profound mystery that our soul is truly satisfied in giving itself to Jesus Christ for him to be our Lord and for for us to follow him as our Savior. We pray, Father, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and teach us from your word in Jesus' precious name. And holy name we pray. Amen. How about some statistics? It's important to understand that the issue of fathers and and wives and, and fathers and homes is culturally relevant. I believe that the Bible is always relevant. It doesn't just only speak to a culture years gone by, but it speaks to us today. And in the last 40 to 50 years... Um, a number of statistics have, or studies have been done that develop statistics that show us the seriousness of what happens when there is no man in the house, when there's no father in the house. So you might get a little bit of a picture of this. Uh, the, United, the United States Department of Census, I guess in one of our last censuses, determined that 43% of U.S. children live without their father. 
It's been said that 90% of homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of adolescent repeat arsonists, arsonists do not have a father in their home. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state or operating institutions have no father. 85% of youths in prison grew up in fatherless homes. And fatherless boys and girls are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. That does say something about problems with a fatherless home. I'd like to ask us if we have a father in our home, but I do have a particular viewpoint about that and I wanna share with you. I think the main point of my teaching here from the scriptures is to investigate the role of the husband slash father as portrayed by Paul in Ephesians chapter five. Ultimately, I believe the Holy Spirit is teaching us that God desires you guys, me and you, us men, I'm not talking to you ladies at the moment, but us men, to be godly disciples, to live as godly disciples. If we live as godly disciples, then we are following the leadership and the direction and the command and desire of our Savior. I'd like in this sermon to suggest some ways to apply God's call to, for us men to be the spiritual head of our homes. Not only are we non-existent in homes, we're not there to lead. We're not to there to lead spiritually. It will do no good for us to give up that spiritual leadership to other people in the home or our wives. Paul is trying to encourage us to do that. You know that there are two big theological terms, or maybe you don't, and I'm going to tell you so you'll know today, <laughs> that are bandied about, thrown about out there, and they become quite controversial in churches. One is called egalitarian, and the other is called complementarian. Now, I like to think of myself as a very liberal complementarian. The Bible says that in our relationships between husband and wife and men and women, some things are egalitarian. They're equal. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus died on the cross. But as far as the home is concerned, when a husband and a wife join together, I think there are egalitarian roles in the home, but there are also complementarian roles in the home. I have a strong, very strong belief that God made the man the spiritual leader of the home. But I don't mean that he's a dictator. He says, do this, and the wife says, well, how do you want it done? Or you know, the wife has to jump, how high? That's not being a spiritual leader. That's not being a godly man. A godly man is one who earns that respect, who serves as the spiritual leader of the home and who is not afraid to kneel before the Savior and ask him to help you, to help us with how we live as disciples before Jesus Christ. Now, I know the big debate goes, well, are you complementarian or are you egalitarian? Well, you got to have to be both. But ultimately, for to be a man in the home, as Paul is teaching us, we have to see that there is a role 
that the women cannot play. And that role is given to us by God to be the spiritual leader of the house. Notice in Genesis, God did not make Eve first. I like to say to my students that he practiced on Adam and then he got it right and got Eve, you know. But he made Adam first and Adam was taught to tell Eve. You'll get that joke in a minute. It'll, wait for it, it might get there, okay? Uh, Adam was given first the task of taking care of the garden, naming the animals. That was his leadership role. And he made Eve to be a helper and equal to him right as a family. Adam and Eve, husband, wife. But Adam was not to give away or abrogate that role as the spiritual leader of the home. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us here. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through chapter 6, verse 9, Paul describes the equality of what it means to be disciple in being filled with the Spirit. All of us, men and women, are to be filled with the Spirit. But then he goes on to discuss the fact that all of us are to submit ourselves to one another in fear, to submit ourselves in, to one another in fear of the Messiah. In other words, we both submit ourselves to the Lord, husband, wife, male, female. But then he goes on to discuss three relationships, husband and wife, verses 22 through 23, that's what we're going to talk about here, parents, children, uh, verses uh, chapter 6, 1 through 4, and then master and slave in chapter 6, 5 through 9. Yes, that's in there, and you can read it. But I want to focus today on husband and wife relationships in chapter, 22, in chapter 5, verses 22 through, 20, through 33. And that lifts up three, three issues, three things, on what it means for a man who is seeking to be godly, who is seeking to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, to be a godly man, that means three things that this man should be and this should do. I know we don't want to get bogged down on the idea of, hus of wives submit to your husbands. That's based upon the husbands being the spiritual leader of the home. And the word submit here, mean, it's a military term. It just means you can't be the general, you have to be a colonel or something. Or if you're not the general, you have to listen to the general. And God calls the husband to be the general to be responsible for the family. So here are the three things that I think that Paul is sharing with us, and they're in your bulletin in the notes. First of all, God is calling us men to be a sensitive leader. Being a godly man means that we are sensitive. We understand that we take our marching orders not from our own self, but from our general, who is Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? This is what Paul says. Is it, he says this in verse 20 through 24. Now, don't get hung up on the first part because Paul is going to explain what this means. He says, wives, basically respect or submit yourself um, to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you have made Jesus Lord. And you need to come to your husband and you need to be in that kind of a relationship 
You can't be Jesus, you can't be your husband, but you can be the wife, a very special privilege that God has given to you. And he says this in verse 23, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. In other words, God made this order. It's, it's not a free for all, helter skelter. He's Jesus is the head of the church. And the microcosm is that the husband, a godly husband is the head of the, of the wife, of the family. So like the church, like the family, you, you've got this order here. Uh, Jesus is the savior of the body. And we need to recognize that the husband is to be the one to put his life on the line for the family. That's very seriously important. Now, as the church submits to Christ, verse 24, so also wives are to submit their husbands in everything. Well, people aren't going to like that. Some wives today won't like that. But here's what I think Paul is saying. The word husband is an English, old English or Norse word meaning the head of the household or the master. In other words, you're at the top, guys. If you're uh, married, you have a wife, it's your responsibility to be the kind of husband that leads the home. It's on your shoulders, ultimately. Verse 21, where it talks about submitting earlier, it says, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. It means to put yourself under the authority to be subordinated or under a state of influence. Now that state of influence rests on three separate items that Paul talks about here in these verses. He says, first of all, that the lordship of Jesus Christ is operable here. Husbands, men, you don't get to have it your way. I don't care if you go to Burger King or you try to sing a Sinatra song, you can't have it your way. To be a godly man, you must submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're not the dictator, you're not the numero uno in the family, you must bow the knee to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You cannot have a godly family, you cannot be godly if you try to be self-centered. Self-centered is nothing more than spiritual pride, you want it your way, and when you do that, you will create all kinds of strife and sin in your family because you think you, des you deserve it or you want it your way, and you never ask God what he wants. The biggest problem with churches and Christians today is they don't bother ever to ask God what he wants. We think what we, we know what it means to be a Christian, and all we got, we got dunked up in the water, and we're good to go, and now we can do anything we choose. And that's not what the Bible says at all is, is what it means to be a Christian or a believer. A believer is the one who recognizes the lordship of Jesus Christ. Wives recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. Husbands have to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. It says the husband is the head of the wife only as Christ is the head of the church and the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, Obviously, wives are to submit to their husbands, but their husbands are also to submit and love their wives and submit to Jesus Christ. If the lordship of Jesus Christ is not in your life, you will not have men an opportunity to be truly a godly family because you're trying to follow somebody else's ideas, either your own, your own self-centeredness 
or what somebody else told you you should be. And you need to be what God's leading you to be. The lordship here is one of the important ships that it rests on. Secondly, there is a partnership between you and your wife. You're in this together. Now, when I say that the husband is the head or should be the head of the house, I'm not saying that the husband makes all the decisions. You have a partnership. You love your wives. You love them to consider them, to help them, to lift them up, and to encourage them. You think about this when you think about Jesus being the head of the church. It's all based on him. So when you talk about this, you think of the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He gave himself for us. He died for us. He didn't go strutting around saying, look at me, I'm the Messiah. You got to do everything I tell you to do. He didn't do that. He gave himself for us. Fathers need to give themselves for their family. Oh, there's so many times I wish that I could have picked what restaurant I wanted to go to. And I know that's a cheesy way to talk about it. But fathers constantly have to be looking out for the benefit of their family and putting their own needs second, actually third. The need of Christ first, the need of their family second, and then maybe you can make it in his third. The point is that if you want to have a godly family, you need to be a sensitive leader, a leader who listens, a leader that thinks, a leader that prays, a leader who desires the best for their family. The headship of the husband as a spiritual leader of the home is the last thing in terms of being a sensitive leader. Christ is the head of the church. Note verse uh, 23 through 24 said that, that he's the savior of their body. He's the savior of the body. Being the head, Christ is responsible to go first. And the husband is to be the head, to be able to create the order of married life. But you need to be loving first, unconditionally, without waiting for or insisting on the wife to submit first. You submit to Jesus and serve your family. And the Lord Jesus will help you in being that kind of godly man that he desires. Secondly, you need to be, besides a sensitive leader, you need to be a sacrificing lover. A sacrificing lover. In verse 25, it's pretty simple. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The picture of Jesus on the cross is not only just a, it's not only a picture of our salvation. Guys, it's a picture of how we are to live as husbands. Jesus loved the church. The church was sinful. People were lost in bondage to sin. What was the remedy? He gave his body, his blood on the cross to pay the ransom. He didn't deserve to do that. It wasn't his problem, but he willingly and lovingly gave himself to win, to pay the ransom and to purchase for us, if you will, our salvation. If this is the model that Paul is talking about, 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Then we ought to recognize this is our model. We are to love unconditionally and sacrificially our families and our wives. They need to know that we would do anything for them. Men find it all too easy to throw their weight around, but, but hard to communicate love sensitively. This is a quote from David Stern. For Paul sets the standard very high, just as Jesus loved the church. Now, you don't want to think that you can do it a little bit. You know, oh, I'll do this a little bit, you know, okay, should get some response. You do it completely without waiting for response in return. Paul uses the term here, a special term for love, when he says that you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. You know, there's a couple of different kinds of loves and maybe just like, you know, all kinds of different items, there could be more. But anyway, there's a manipulating love in marriage. It's not true love. You manipulate people to love you to do the things you want. There's a bartering love. I'll love you if you do this, I'll do that. That's the relationship we have. That's what I mean by love. You do this for me, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But that's not the love that's mentioned here. There's a conditional love. If you love me, you'll do this. So you put conditions on this. I'll do this for you if you do this for me or if you love me. That's kind of selfish. The love that Paul's talking about here is called agape love in the Greek. It means the God kind of love. Where Jesus died for us on the cross, we are to die for our families and to be that kind of sacrificing lover that's willing to give our all. One commentator said, in self-oriented marriages, arguments are between women who won't submit to their husbands and men who won't love their wives. In God-oriented marriages, arguments happen. They do. Sometimes we don't think about divorce, we think about murder, but arguments happen, right? But in God-oriented marriages, arguments um, happen, but they have an altogether different character because they are between men willing to go the second mile in loving and, willing, and women willing to go the second mile in submitting. In such marriages, Jesus is the third partner. And he uses this illustration that when you put a magnet over iron fillings, they all turn in that direction all together. They line up. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Lining up by being a sacrificing lover and loving your family and being willing to give yourself to your family lines you up with God's will and God's desire to be that kind of godly man. A sensitive leader, a sacrificing lover, and finally a sanctifying lifter. In verses 26 through 30, we see that there's a pattern and a purpose. In fact, we have to go back and read verse 25 to get verse 26 because Paul continues in the sentence. He says, not only are you supposed to be a sacrificing lover, but you're also supposed to be a sanctifying lifter. Now, I'll explain what that means. Husbands, 
Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And here it is, verse 26. In order to sanctify her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. In other words, Paul is saying what Jesus did in dying on the cross was to make it possible for the church to be set aside for God, for his service, to be witnesses, to be testimonies for what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. So in other words, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross made it possible for Jesus to lift the church up. So if husbands are to function in the same way, then our sacrificing is in order to lift up our family, particularly also our wives, to be the kind of family that pleases the Lord, that is set apart for his purpose. You want your family, of course, to be successful, to have things. But I think as a godly husband, we want more than anything else for our family, we should at least, to be faithful believers in Jesus Christ. To walk with Jesus, to serve him, to know the joy and the peace and satisfaction of having him as our Savior and our Lord. That's really what our goal ought to be, and that's what we ought to do as husbands. Here in verses 25 through 27, says that, Paul says that Jesus did this for a purpose. Look at verse 27. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Look at verse 28, what he says. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Do you get this pattern, this picture? This is what Jesus did for the, for the church. Guys, this is what we're supposed to do for our families, for our wives. I've been guilty of not doing it very well. You've been guilty of not doing it very well. We need to come and ask God to forgive us. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it. Just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body, for this reason, then he goes back and he quotes Genesis 2.24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become flesh. They become one. Paul says this is, this is amazing. When you think about it, you are to give yourself to purify your family and lift that up as a gift to God, set apart for God's use set apart for the ministry of serving as faithful believers. I've always heard it that the family that prays together stays together. I think the family that worships together stays together. I think the family that comes to walk in Jesus Christ is one that God blesses, not because we're doing things for God, but because we're giving ourselves to him. And what God loves to do is to bless his people. And he does that. Paul summed it all up there in verse 33. He says to sum this, well, verse 32, he says, this is a mystery. This is profound. When you think about it, you have to ponder it. You have to consider it. 
I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself and the wife is to respect her husband. Man, this is something interesting. If we want to please God, we give ourselves to him. And he doubly blesses us more than we could ever think. Oh, we like to be macho men. Yeah, I'll go out and earn my keep. I like to watch homesteaders. Have you ever watched that show? Um, you know, there's a bunch of them. Homestead Rescue and uh, Alaska, The Last Frontier. You know, I don't really ever watch much TV. So what I do is that I'll take a day and binge and stream the episodes. And then if I have a day to do, that's, that's what I like to do. But anyway... It's kind of like a macho, I'm a man, and I'm gonna go out and provide for everything for my family. I chop down trees, and I do all this and, and everything, and then we, we go out and shoot and hunt and fish and get everything and provide for them. Well, that's what God kind of put in our hearts, guys, to do this, but we don't do it for our own benefit, we do it because we love, because we sacrifice and we lift up our families to the Lord. We become sensitive leaders. Yes, we become sensitive leaders. We, we become uh, sacrificing lovers and we, begin, we, we become those who lift up our family to present them to the Lord, sanctifying lifter. That's what God, that's what Paul's trying to say. And it's all based on the pattern of what Jesus did for the church. He's not asking you to do anything that nobody else has done before. He's asking you to do what Jesus did to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to be the kind of husband that helps others and, and makes a testimony for your love for your family. Now, he goes on to talk about children and parents, and you could read through that, and he goes on to talk about some other stuff. But I really would like to say, so what? So what's the application? What am I supposed to do? This is Father's Day. You know, I asked it, maybe they'd cook me a steak out on the grill, and I don't know if I'm going to get it or not, but I'll be happy with that, you know, hamburger if I get it. The point is, and not a vegan burger, one of those kinds of things. The point is, what am I supposed to do? I don't always do this right. I get selfish. I get mad. I sometimes see, ask the question, why do I do all of this? But God has blessed me with a lovely wife and, and great children. And the best thing that I can do is to be the kind of servant to them that they see Jesus in me. That they see the pattern of what Jesus did on the cross. What you do as a father directly influences your children. What you do as a husband directly influences your wife. What you do as a believer directly influences your witness and testimony in the world. So maybe we should think about this. I know it's a great day to celebrate our fathers, and I do thank you, fathers. I thank you and pray that you will be responsible to your family and tell them that you love them. I was in a church a while back, and my kids came up, my two sons came up, and they were going to go off somewhere and, and I'd preached a message and there was a couple of people standing around. And I said to my sons as they went out to the door, hey, guys, I love you. And one of the men standing there literally broke down crying. We weren't it wasn't Father's Day or anything, and, you know, and and sometimes we use that a little more flippantly. But when I tell my sons I love them, I try to tell them seriously. 
course, they, they know I mean don't speed and don't do stupid things, you know. They know that, but it, the love is in there, you understand. But this poor gentleman broke down crying. And he just, he just literally sat down on the chair and, and just sobbed until we finally find out what was wrong. He said, in all my life, my father never told me that he loved me. And I'm not trying to boost myself up. I was just trying to tell my sons to be, you know, to be reasonable and be careful. But I also was trying to tell them that I do, do, do dearly love them. And sometimes fathers, we don't do that, you know. And we need to tell our family, our wives and our kids, don't, don't, uh, don't, you know that's, that influences your family. If you have a wife, be a godly husband. Ask God to teach you what it means to be a godly husband. If you have a child, be a godly father. Being a godly father means that you got your act together because your faith and your ground and your focus is in Jesus Christ and he's teaching you how to live in a way that honors and loves your family, your, your wife and your children. I guess I could say learn to be a sensitive leader. Um, make, your home, make your home a home. Don't be wimpy. Don't abrogate your responsibility to be the leader. Bring your family to worship God. I have never found a survey. I'm going to tell you this. I have never, ever found a survey that said that fathers who made their children go to church was a devastating, terrible thing for them to do. That created all kinds of serious problems in the home. But I have lots of surveys that say that fathers who aren't in the home, a fatherless home is devastating. You might have to make your children come to church, but if you're living a godly life and you're worshiping in a church that holds up Jesus Christ, those children are gonna hear whether they want to or not. And the percentage is in your favor to have them hear. Yeah, one or two of them might go off and get incarcerated. But the chances of that is going to be tremendously less than if you're not in their life, you're not a godly father, and they're left on their own. Which would you prefer to do? Be a sensitive leader. Take your family to worship God. Study the word of God. Teach them what it means to be a godly believer. Learn to be a sacrificing lover. Let's learn what agape love means and be willing to die for our wife and our family. Guys, that's hard to tell us. And actually, that's harder than, than maybe a wife being submissive to her husband, to be honest with you. You have to be willing to give your very life, just as Jesus did for the church, for your family. And then I guess maybe our purpose and our goal would be to always present our families, ourselves and our families to Jesus, that he might use us and make us holy and set us apart and sanctify us. Your love blesses your wife and family. Being a lifter, an encourager, someone who helps our children know that we love them just as Jesus loved them is the beginning of having a godly home. Today, as we celebrate 
Father's Day, and whether you get that veggie burger or you get the steak on the grill, let's remember this pattern that Jesus showed us and that Jesus calls us to follow. He gave himself for us on the cross and we're to give ourselves for our family, guys. And then we'll have godly homes and people will see that peace comes in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to stand here. I'm going to invite the musicians up to sing the song, The Child of the King. And after the service, I do know that there's going to be a special meeting of the Builders for Christ over here. But if you'd like to talk to me about learning how to know Christ Jesus as Lord, finding him and knowing him, I'd be happy to share what the scriptures say. After the service is over, you come, though, as we stand and sing.